Good morning, church. We're gonna be in Matthew 6 today. If you wanna open up your Bibles to Matthew 6, uh, or if you wanna look on our church app, uh, we provide every single week all of the scripture on the church app, and there's also a section for you to take notes. But I wanna start today uh, in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. 2 Chronicles is speaking to the kings of, of Judah during this time, those that did really good, those that did not do so good, and Solomon uh, building the temple. And right in this chapter, Solomon is dedicating the temple. He's praying over the temple. And then the Lord says this, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There is incredible power in prayer and when we humble ourselves before a holy God, scripture makes it very clear and seek his face that, and turn from our wicked ways, turn from running our own path, that he will hear our prayer. We serve a God in heaven that will hear our prayer. And although this was thousands of years ago with this particular uh, passage, today we are in the midst of an epidemic and I can think of nothing greater than the church that, that we could be doing during this time uh, than being in a state of prayer. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. To get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. We must first be going to the Lord in humility, in prayer. Church, there's incredible power in prayer. And this passage that was written thousands of years ago, that when we humble ourselves before a holy God, that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, this is mind-boggling to think about, that he will hear our prayer, that he will hear from us, and it has the possibility to heal, heal our land. That when we replace fear with prayer, there's power that can take place. That when we replace all of our worry with, with prayer and go to the Lord in humility through prayer, that there is power in the midst of that. That when we replace our uncertainty and, and with prayer and put it into the hands of a God that is, that is totally certain, that, that we can have assurance in that he is gonna take care of us. That when we can replace our control issues, right, with prayer, and we can put it in the hands of a God that is already in control. It seems and it changes things. I wanna share just a few quotes with you about prayer. It says, our prayers may be awkward and our attempts may be feeble. You ever been there? You just feel like, what on earth did I just pray to God? I mean, did he even hear that, right? They may be awkward at times, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Billy Graham also said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement and I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. Billy Graham says, there's moments where we go to God in prayer and in desperation. And I'm sure all of us have that a part of our, our testimony throughout our life. Uh, Ian Bounds says, prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, 
and to prayer. And he says, if we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying. And Billy Graham says again, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. With over 150, 160 plus nations dealing with this epidemic at this time in our history, there's nothing the church can do that would bring about more power than prayer. And I encourage you today as we work through Matthew 6 and God nudges you when it comes to this idea of prayer that you would listen, that you would be obedient, that maybe today would be a day that you draw a line in the sand and say, hey, my prayer life is gonna go from non-existent to, to there's gonna be some action happening in my prayer life, even if I have to schedule it. I have to get up before everybody else in the house that prayer needs to be a vital part of who I am and what I'm about in this season that we find ourselves in. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 6, and uh, we're gonna work through the Lord's Prayer today, and uh, many of you may have grown up memorizing the Lord's Prayer, depending on what church background you were a part of, uh, and maybe for some today, uh, you do not have it memorized, but uh, this will bring back uh, a lot of memory about the particular Lord's Prayer, but I wanna back up today and in verse one of chapter six, uh, because there's a setup to the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is talking with the disciples and, and he really gets to the, to the heart of the motivation behind the prayer, the heart of, of, of their motivation for really carrying out ministry and serving the needy and serving the poor and, and, and praying in public even. So let's read it, uh, chapter six, Matthew six, verses one through eight. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others as to be seen by them. If you do, uh, you will have no reward from the Father in heaven. We don't, we don't pray out loud. We don't give to the needy, as he's gonna say in a moment, to, to get noticed, uh, for people to give us a pat on the back and to say, well done. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others, and then he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What was their reward that they received, that they were seen? What was the reward that, that they received, that they were heard by a few people on the streets, and, and, and they could get a little pat on the back in that moment, but from a heavenly perspective, the reward, they missed out on it. Verse three, it says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then he goes to prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And he says it again. Truly, I tell you, these showboats, these, these posers, he says, uh, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Is Jesus saying, hey, you need to remove or back off from public prayers? That's not at all what he's saying. But he's letting his disciples know, hey, if you find yourselves praying more uh, publicly than you do find yourselves praying privately, there's probably a problem. There might be something going on in your heart if you find yourself praying publicly to be seen more than you are praying privately with the God when you are unseen. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling, verse seven, like the pagans do, 
for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So when we go to God in prayer, it's not about the length. It's not about putting five minutes on the clock or 10 minutes on the clock. It's not about, it's not about all the fancy words or theological phrases we can throw out so people will hear our prayer and be in awe of, of, the, of the language and words that we use. He's saying it's not because of their many words that they're heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We serve a God that wants us to come to him in humility. And what does he say right off the bat in this passage in verse six? Hey, when you pray, go to your room. Go to your room, be in a place where, where you are not seen, right? Uh, but your father, who is unseen, will see you in the room, it says in this passage, and he will reward you. Most of us like that word, the idea of, of rewarding us. I mean, if you're gonna reward me for going into my room and praying, Sign, where's the prayer list for me to sign up to be a part of that, right? I mean, I'm on quarantine. I go into my room multiple times a day. I can shout out a prayer, and God will bring a windfall to me or, or put many things out in my front door that the Amazon Prime guy delivers to me. And what he's talking about here is not stuff. It's not stuff that you will receive or earthly things that you will receive when you go to your room and pray and your father that is unseen will, will reward you. But we do serve a God that says he will reward us. But it's not always with stuff. Um, Garth Brooks even sang about that, if you remember, a while back. He said some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Could you imagine? I mean, think about that. I thought, think about all my prayers. I don't even know when I said my first prayer, but if you were to think back to all your prayers you said since you were a little kid, that if God would have, said yes to all of them, your life would be a mess, right? I mean, I think of some prayers, and I love when my children pray, but prayers that they prayed, if God would bring those to fruition, our house would be a mess. Our house would be a wreck. Uh, but we serve a God that it's not stuff that he blesses us with, but here's what he gives us. It's connection and intimacy with the creator of the universe. It's ongoing fellowship with the Father, that when we pause throughout our day, when we go to our room, when we find that quiet place to, 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 to find ourselves in humility before a holy God, uh, we will find connection and intimacy with the Father like never before. And here's what I found happens. It's an inner peace. It's an inner peace that, that God is with us when he says yes, which we like for most of our prayer requests. It's an inner peace that God is with us when he says when he says no, which we're not always a fan of that, but it's usually for our best interest. It's an inner peace that God is with us when he says wait. And it's even, this is the hardest one, it's an inner peace that God is with us when he says nothing at all. And we're thinking, I've been praying this for days, for weeks, for months. God, where are you? But when we have that connection, that intimacy with God, that trust that he is good, that no matter what comes our way, no matter whether he says yes, no, wait, or, or says nothing at all, that he can be trusted. So Jesus sets up the Lord's Prayer in verses one through eight, one through eight teaching us to, to get alone with God, to go to your room and close the door. And hey, disciples, as you are praying, it's not about how long you pray, the length of it. It's not gonna be about all the great words that you, you, know, you, you, you shout out to God through, through prayer. And he says, do not spend a lot of time on all your wants and all your desires and all your motives and agenda is what we're gonna see in the Lord's Prayer today. So let's just jump in and read it. Matthew 6, 
verse nine. Um, he says, this then, this then, in light of verses one through eight, all of your motivations for praying, all of your motivations for serving, for giving to the needy, uh, remember what I just said in, verse, in verses one through eight, and this then is how you should pray. And I don't believe Jesus is saying with this particular passage that every time we sit down to pray, we should just recite the Lord's Prayer word for word, and that is all we should pray. I don't think that's where Jesus is going, but I think what he is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us is to pray out the elements that are found in the Lord's Prayer, the truth that is found in the Lord's Prayer. Well, what are they? And if you wanna write these down, I encourage you to, and we're gonna spend some time praying through these at the end of today's message. The first one is to praise God, to declare that he is great, to declare his greatness, that he is majestic. The second one we're gonna go through today is to intercede for his work in the world, right? That his will would be done, not our will, but his will would be done, to ask for provision uh, for our individual daily needs. God, give us this day our daily bread, and then declare our dependence upon him in the last part and request help for our daily struggles, right, with temptations, that, God, we would forgive those as you have forgiven us. But what does he say at the top in, in chapter six, verse nine? He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's Jesus teach us? The very first thing we should do is declare God's greatness. Jesus reminds us, don't start with you, but start with God, declaring that he is majestic. Find that quiet place, find that room, find that space in your house, that space in your life where you can get before God in humility and you can yield yourself to him, free of distractions, and you surrender to God. It changes everything when we pray like this. It really puts us in perspective, our lives, our, even our requests in perspectives that when we start our prayer life with God, you are majestic, you are great, you are holy, you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are the Alpha and the Omega. God, I, I pray to you, you are great. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is to be honored. Hallowed means sacred, to, to revere to respect, to honor. And Jesus says, hey, as you start into prayer, don't rush to you, but start with God and declare his greatness. How many of you, and I think of my own prayer life of more often than I'd like to admit, that I start my prayer with, with the list, right? God, here's all my needs. Here's all my wants. Here's all my wishes. Here's all my desires. And God, here it is, and, and would you just kind of mix it in a pot and, and bring it back to me and, and make sure everything worked out as, as though uh, it was in my best interest. And that's where we usually start. But church, when we recognize him first, when we declare that he is holy, when we surrender to him right off the bat, I believe everything else in our prayer life, it, fall, it flows from that, and it begins to fall into place. And no matter what comes our way, no matter even the, the size of the request, that we trust God when he says yes, we trust God when he says no, we trust God when he says wait, even, when, even though we don't like to hear the words wait, and we certainly trust God when, when he says nothing at all. 
I can't think of anything better for us to do in, in light of our current circumstance that we are living in under quarantine, a virus that people are fearful about, worried about, than to go before a holy God and start our prayers by declaring that he is good. He is majestic. He is holy. He is great. He is the one we look to. I think our world needs it. I think our souls need it. I think our homes need it. So he goes on in Matthew 9, Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in verse 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he saying here? Hey, before my needs are met, before I throw you the list, God, that I created or my group created in me, we bring it to you or my wants or my desires or my wishes, God, I want to declare before any of that, no matter what the outcome even may be with any of that, I declare that your will be done, not mine. I declare that your will be done, that your kingdom would come before my kingdom and I don't know about you, but I feel like this is flying in our face at this point, spiritually speaking, on our spiritual journey, because our kingdoms, we were really wrapped up in them before this coronavirus hit. We were so caught up on our schedules and our workplaces and, and how we like church and how we, how we like to carry on throughout our day and, and the things we like to go to and restaurants and swimming lessons and, and sports and you name it. And then all of a sudden, bam, in a moment's notice, it, the rug was pulled off from under us. And all that we had left, all that we had left, the most important thing that we had left was the kingdom of God. And I can think of nothing greater for us to pray in this season than, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to declare that you are great. I want to surrender my life to you. And, God, I pray that your kingdom would come to this earth and that your will would be done. What are we declaring when we declare that? God, I declare that your agenda would come before my agenda. God, I pray that your agenda for my family and my kids and my loved ones would come before my agenda for my family and my friends and my loved ones. God, that your agenda and your ways for my money would come before all of my agenda and all of my ways for my money. God, that your agenda for truth about how we should carry out relationships, that your agenda for the, for the church, your agenda for my time, your agenda for everything that's going on in my life, your agenda for this season that we find ourselves in, that God, your will would be done. Your agenda comes before my agenda. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I surrender myself to your will. So what does it look like? Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. On earth, in this earth that we live in, as it is in heaven. The point of prayer is not to get stuff from God. The point of prayer is not for God to do our bidding, right? The point of prayer is not for God just to, to work everything out in our lives so that we can walk down easy street and things can be okay. The point of prayer is that it puts us in alignment with the Father. So Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender ourselves to, to him. You ever been in a place in your life, and I'm sure all of us have in our story, where your life wasn't surrendered to God, and all of a sudden at 
after a couple bad breaks and a couple circumstances that were less than desirable and, and maybe a lost job or just a really tough season in life, you realize, man, it's time to, it's time to surrender myself back to God. And not just a few areas, it's time to surrender all of me back to God. Church, when we do this, when we give all of ourselves back to God, this is where life change begins to happen inside of us. When we, the Bible talks about, when we seek first the kingdom of God, right? In his righteousness, all of these things will be added to us as well. But we have to seek his, first, his kingdom first. And that is in every area of our life, not bits and pieces or places that we like to choose to seek his kingdom first but to do it in every area of our life. All throughout scripture, all the way back to Adam and Eve, God has been calling his people to surrender to him. Would you trust me? Would you be obedient to me? Will you follow me? And that is the call on our lives today. And as scary and as threatening as it can be, it is the good life and it is the best way for us to live our lives is to surrender all of me to him, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. The third part we see is to, to acknowledge our dependency upon God. That if this uh, coronavirus and this epidemic has taught us anything, has showed us anything, it's our utter dependence upon God. We thought medicine, because of medicine, we could never get to a place like this around the world, right? Because of our technology, because of our brains, because of our innovation, how could we ever experience Something like this where the world is, is almost halted and paused. It shows us, it shows us our great dependence, our great dependence upon God. Matthew 6 verse 11, it says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And when the disciples would have heard this, it would have, uh, they would have understood this. It would have been a reminder of the olden days for them in Exodus 16 where God supplied his people with with food for some 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, he would tell them as they would walk out of their tent in the morning, hey, grab what you need, uh, these little flake-like sandwiches that we call manna that were on the ground that, that God provided for them. He, he, he got them out of slavery, remember that. And then as they are out of slavery, they get to this, this desert place, they're complaining. They're, they're Like when we were back in slavery, we at least had meat, we had better food than this. And yet God was still being their provider. You ever wonder who the first person to eat one of those sandwiches was? I always wonder. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll find out, right? But here's the deal. I was thinking of these complaining Israelites as God is providing for them. And I can't help but wonder as we say the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and we think about our own personal lives and how the Israelites were complaining, even in the midst of God providing for them, how we're not much different. Has God provided for us more than we ever need? And yet we still complain. We complain about what we don't have. We complain about what's going on. We complain about this kind of food or that kind of food. Just so many things in our lives where we find ourselves God providing, God taking care of us. God is our provision and we still like to complain about it. But this was bread from heaven and they learned every day these people to depend upon God, that God would provide everything that they needed for that day. And God's point for giving them manna from heaven, we see it in the prophets and through the prophets, it, it says that there's gonna be a day coming when you're not gonna have to get your bread one day at a time, but you will have so much bread, nations will be coming to you asking for it. 
And here's what this teaches me and tells us today. The whether you find yourselves with a lot or whether you find yourselves in a season with very little, in both seasons, we are incredibly dependent upon God. God is reminding us, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, don't forget who you are dependent upon. God has everything that we need. So whether we pray today and we find ourselves with a little or we find ourselves with plenty, we ask it this way, God, would you give us this day our daily bread? And when you ask, you are declaring, you're declaring your dependence upon God. God already knows what we need. He tells us not to worry. He will take care of us. But just to be clear, I don't think this passage is telling us, knowing that God is our provider, that we're not supposed to work and we're supposed to sit idle by. Remember Paul worked through that in, in, with the church in Thessalonica, that we're living idle lives. No, he gave, us, he gave us the ability to work. But even when we do and he provides, we need to acknowledge that he alone is our sustainer, that he alone is our provider. God, give us this day our daily bread. He goes on in Matthew 6, verse 12 and forgive us our debts, that we are dependent upon God for forgiveness. We just celebrated this through, through Easter with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We are utterly dependent upon Christ's work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he says, we also uh, need to forgive our debtors, those that have, that have sinned against us, those that have hurt us. So God, I declare my dependence upon you uh, for provision, God, I declare my dependence upon you for forgiveness of sins. And because you forgave my sins, God, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive over and over and over those who have wronged, those who have hurt, those who have stepped on my toes as well. I can't allow you to pardon my sins and then I go out and I'm will, unwilling to forgive those around us. If you wanna read more about that, just go a couple verses more. In chapter six, verses 14 and 15, Jesus gives a stern, stern warning that if we freely receive the forgiveness of sins that he offers us and, and we're unwilling to forgive other people in our lives that have hurt us or, 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 or maybe sinned against us, it, it's an ugly road. And I encourage you to read that today. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. In verse 13, the last part, he says, and lead us, not into, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are so dependent upon God for protection. Uh, maybe that is risen to the top in your mind and in your heart, that you understand that like never before today, that we are utterly dependent on God for protection. But the Greek word for temptation here is not an enticement to sin, but rather a, a season of testing that God will, will at times allow us to be tested so that our faith will grow. He will even allow us to be tested in the area of temptation. Is temptation a sin in and of itself? No, right? But when we jump into it, it begins to, when we take part in it, when we say yes to the temptation, it becomes sinful in our lives. Was Jesus, does he have any right to speak into this? Was he tempted? Well, you bet he was. You go to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Uh, the devil thought that, that he had the ability to, to give things back to God, which he completely did not have the, the ability to do that. And Jesus combated temptation 
with, with God's word. He combated temptation with God's word. He knew it to be truth, and he combated all the temptation that came his way with it. But we must remember today that testing is not without purpose. I believe in, at many levels today, we are in a season of testing. Our faith is being tested, right? Maybe you're being tempted in new ways that you were not before the coronavirus came your way. Uh, but in a season of testing, it is never without purpose, and God is always at work refining us, thank goodness that he is. He's always at work growing us. He's always at work making us more like his son, Jesus. And our prayer today is, is this, is that God, would you help me not to yield to temptation? Maybe you could even pray, God, would you protect my family from sin? Would you protect me from sin? Would you protect my children from sin? Would you protect my grandchildren from the evil one? Would you protect our marriage? Would you protect the marriages of our church? That we have an overwhelming dependence upon God every single day for protection. Go to your room. Close the door. Declare his greatness. Praise God for who he is. Surrender your will to his, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. Acknowledge your dependence upon God. God, I depend upon you for provision. I depend upon you for forgiveness. I depend upon you for protection. If you're in your house today, as Dan does every single week when he asks our congregation to stand for the reading of scripture, I wanna encourage you to, to stand for the reading of the Lord's Prayer with me in unison, and you'll see it come up on your screen. And let's just, as a church, in, 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 in the signal of unity today, pray the Lord's Prayer together, and this may be the version you remember uh, growing up as a youngster. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. I wanna close out today a little bit different than we have the past few weeks of leading you as a church just through these prayers just for a minute or two. And uh, as you find yourself maybe in a quiet spot or uh, in, your, in your living room or on your couch or on a chair, or wherever you may be watching this today, I ask you to, to take a moment and, and pray through this, and I wanna prompt you today to do so. And the first one may come easy because we, 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 we sing about praises to God of who he is and the names of God and, and who Jesus is in our lives. But I want you to start by just take a moment, 10 or 15 seconds, by declaring the greatness of God. Declare that he is good in your own ways. The music continues to play. How about the second one? God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At this area, we intercede for the world. We intercede for the world, for his work in the world.
maybe personally. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is there a personal area in your life today that you need to surrender to God? A relationship that seems strained? A sin? An uncertain future? Maybe something else that God's speaking to you in this season of quarantine? Maybe just the general public for the epidemic that we are in? Take a moment and go before God and intercede for the world. Third, for God, give us today our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Is there any area in your, in your life where you're really struggling to trust God for provision? Maybe work's a little bit different. Maybe you're a company owner and you've had to make a ton of big decisions recently. An area where it's just, it's hard to completely give God my whole trust right now, maybe name that and declare your dependence upon God today. Maybe another one is surrender your lack of, of trust or your struggle to trust God for provision, for protection, for what's next even. Maybe submit to God and surrender to him your struggle or unwillingness to forgive someone that you know it's been far too long and it's time, it's time to forgive I encourage you, if you're in that spot, read Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Maybe surrender to a sin, an area of temptation that seems habitual. Uh, surrender it all to God to get today. Declare your dependence upon him for a moment. As a church today, we declare our dependence upon God. We declare it and we pray that God, your will would be done. That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. At Centerville Community Church, in this community and around the world, in our lives and in our families. God, we need you and God, we surrender to you today. Would you pray with me? Father, we declare you are great. You are holy you are our sustainer, you are our provider, you are our savior, our sanctifier, you're our healer, you are our coming king. God, thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, we declare today that your will would be done. We pray that your will would be done in our community with this epidemic around the world. God, show us what you're trying to teach us God, would you help us to glean what it is you want us to know, to grow in? Show us. God, we declare our dependence upon you that you are our provider. You are our protector. You are the one we look to in moments of, of temptation and struggle, in moments of questioning what in the world is next. But God, most of all, we declare that your will would be done in this place and in our homes. God, we love you. I pray that you would bless the ears, the families, the, the couples, uh, the, the families that are represented hearing this today. God, we love you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.